Let's pray. Lord God, it's uh, uh, such an incredibly important role that dads play. And Lord, from the lips of children we have heard today, uh, what is so appreciated in the role of a dad. And we come this morning before you, our God, just to say thank you for the, the dads in this room, the, the men who play that incredibly important role that you have given to them. And uh, Lord, today we pray that you not only would bless them, but that you would enable them, that you would strengthen them. That Lord, they have, have a resolve to be a good dad um, and to bless their children. Um, uh, that those children might catch a glimpse of who you are through, through them. So Lord, um, yeah, bless dads today, we pray. But strengthen them, enable them also, Lord, uh, to the ministry that you've called them. Lord, I just take a moment to think about um, how Father's Day and, yes, indeed, Mother's Day can be hard for um, men and women uh, for various reasons. And, uh, Lord, for those who might be struggling a little bit today, we pray that you would be with them also and that you would encourage them of heart and that you would bless them too. Lord, we come to Scripture now. We come to your word, the way that you choose to speak to us and uh, God, we pray that your word would, would, be, um, would be heard and, and received here today. That as it often um, calls us to, Lord, that there would be a shifting in our thinking uh, from what was to what you would have it be. So Lord, as we think about the things that, um, that we'll consider today, we open our hearts and our minds to you. Um, we humble ourselves before you. And as we have asked so often before, so we ask you again today, speak, Lord, for we're listening. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about our vision. We've talked about our, what we've called our blueprint, how to bring the vision to life, how to bring it to reality through concrete expression and dynamic I want to read to you sort of the foundational statement upon which the vision was developed and then upon which the blueprint was developed from the vision itself. And it is this mission statement which we have um, here at IPC, which says this. And this is a profound statement, I hope in your life, and it certainly is for the life of our congregation, we exist too. That that's significant. Why are we here? We exist to introduce people to Jesus, deepen our faith, participate in God's life-transforming story, and serve others at home and around the world. And where we're going to focus in the next few weeks is on this first phrase, uh, actually two weeks, we exist to introduce people to Jesus. I said to you, um, I think it was last week as we spent those three Sundays on our blueprint for our vision, our, our concrete strategic plan, that um, there is, if there's one thing that we really need to do in order for the vision to, to take hold and to thrive, is, it is that we have to activate the growth engine of IPC. Because you see, we envision a church which fills up to the extent that we need a second service. And we envision that service filling up to the extent that we need a third service. And we envision a church which in time, as you know, will create other campuses in our region because there's such a need for people to hear and know about Christ and be in relationship with him. And I asked you at that time, what do you think is the growth engine of IPC? What is the means whereby this church is going to grow numerically? What is the, me the, the mechanism where whereby we are going to be able to introduce people to Jesus effectively so that they 
enter into relationship with him and find salvation uh, in a way that we're going to describe here today. Well, different churches uh, describe that or plan that in various ways, but what I told you is the growth engine of IPC is the, through the storytelling of the people of God. You. People coming to that place where they're engaged in such a dynamic experience of Jesus because of our deepening in faith that they are ready to share what God is doing in their lives with people who don't know him, so much so that those people want to know him too. And that's why, of course, the deepening of our faith, which is also in our mission statement, is such an incredibly important thing. But I want to talk this morning about the reality of how it is that the growth engine of IPC is going to be activated how it is uh, that we can move forward in a significant and, a, and, and an, even in a powerful way under the leading of the Spirit of God so that we are sharing our stories so that literally, can I say it, hundreds of people find faith in Jesus. No, that's quite a statement. That's a statement of vision because quite frankly, we're not really growing right now. <laughs> and we need to activate that growth engine so that God might work among us. And, you know, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture today, actually kind of a couple, but primarily one, um, that comes as close as the Bible comes to the how-to manual that sometimes we're looking for. It doesn't very often do that, I don't think. Uh, and it never does it exclusively. There's a whole lot more going on in this passage uh, that we'll look at today other than just how-to. But if you're going to go to one passage in the Bible which will teach us how to reach out through our lives into the lives of others so that people make a transition from not believing to believing, um, Luke chapter 10 is it. In this instance, Jesus sends out the 72. Literally, he said he sent them out. Um, to go to places to introduce people to Jesus. It says that he sends them to villages surrounding where he was, where he was about to go. And to think about that, they are going first, he is coming later. And that's the dynamic that we're talking about here. We can go first into the lives of people, and then Jesus will come along in power, in person, in reality, into the lives of those people later. I think that's an incredibly important thing for us to hold on to. What I want to tell you just before we jump into this passage is that Luke uh, 10 is written, if you would, mostly to this kind of crowd. Luke 9 is a very, very similar passage at the beginning, um, but it, it describes what Jesus says in very similar ways to the apostles, Jesus' 12 disciples, these people who would become the leaders of the Christian church. And we're going to look at some similarities and differences. But what's important, first of all, is to recognize that there's something specific and definite about Luke chapter 10 for us, for you particularly. So let me read, uh, first of all, Luke chapter 10 as we dig into the, how is this going to happen? Luke chapter 10, verse 1, says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He appointed them two by two to go where he was about to go. Now, I think it's just really important to recognize, just as we jump in here, that um, he's not talking just to the 12. He's not talking, if you would, to the professionals in the crowd. He's not talking to those 12 people who would become, um, if you would, the leaders of the church. In that instance, there are some differences, and I want to point one out to you right away. In that instance, in Luke chapter 9, he says, go and heal the sick and cast out demons and preach. In this instance, he doesn't talk about preaching because he's not talking to preachers. He's talking about people like you 
I guess I shouldn't say me too because I'm a preacher, but he's talking to people like you. And he's saying, I want to send you out and I want to commission you. I want you to go. I want to appoint you, he's saying, that you might go to, where, to, to, to people and to locations where I am about to go. I'm going to show up. I'm going to become real in the lives of the people because you went first. And in a very significant way, that defines the role that we have to play. I want you also to know, uh, when you look at both chapter 9 and chapter 10 in this instruction of Jesus, these people to whom Jesus was speaking, both the apostles and the regular crowd, both of them had never been asked to do this before. I want you to hear this. They, up until this point in the Gospel of Luke and the, the chronology that Luke gives us, they had watched Jesus do what Jesus did. They had watched Jesus speak. They had watched Jesus heal. They had watched Jesus cast out demons. They had watched Jesus do ministry so that the power of God invaded a particular location and invaded the lives of people, but they'd never been asked to do what he had done. In this instance, something different takes place. What he does is he comes along to them, and let's focus on chapter 10 because it has greatest reference to us. He comes along to them and he says, now I want you to do what you've seen me do. You know, you go back, chapter 7, chapter 8, Jesus is just at work and ministry and the Spirit's moving in power and great things are happening in people's lives. And he says, I want you now to do what you've seen me do previously. He's essentially saying to them, I want, you, I want to invite you to stop watching and I want you to start doing. Um, something tells me that, some, that there, there is an element of great application and significance to most Jesus followers in our church culture, the way it's being formed. Because here's how I think a lot of people think. And you can tell me if I'm wrong because you think it uh, potentially not me. But it's something like this. You know, I go to church on a Sunday morning and I love to watch what's going on. Man, that preacher at IPC is unbelievable. <laughs> Talking about Joyce and Aaron and Brandon and others. But you know, I go and I watch what's going on and I love what's going on and my faith is exercised and I'm built up in faith. You know, I look at those people and how they minister to my life and I just, I revel in the fact that God is present and God is at work. And yes, God is even powerful through those people. Kind of, they're the pros, right? But it's not for me to do. That's for them to do. You know, I don't know enough. I don't have, I'm not educated enough. I don't know enough theology and Bible. I'm not an expert in that area. Um, that's, you know, go for it, Chris. Go for it, Joyce. Go for it, Aaron. Go for it, Brennan, whoever might preach here on a Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not for me to do. Because I'm not one of them. Well, I'm talking to you this morning out of Luke chapter 9. I'm talking to you out of Luke chapter 10. <laughs> when Jesus said he chose 72, I assume the 12 were part of that 72, but we're talking 60 people who weren't the 12. 60 people who were not invited to preach as Jesus had preached, but they are invited, as we'll see in a minute, to bring healing and to bring a knowledge of the kingdom of God into the lives of other people. Regular people. Regular people who had encountered Christ and who, who had the experience of being changed by the power and the truth of Jesus. Jesus says to them, and I'm referencing the verse we've, we've looked at already today, today, I'm appointing you and I'm sending you out. Guess what's happening here today, people? 
I want you to know you're appointed. And I want you to know, and again, you deal with Scripture as you choose. You decide whether this is the Word of God in, in, in a fashion that you can actually grapple with and believe and accept and obey. Is this the voice of God to you? I would suggest it is. But if we take it in that light, Jesus is saying something. You're appointed and you're sent. It's a powerful message. It's not just for the pros on a Sunday morning to do this. It's for all my people. Second thing, Jesus tells them what to do when they get to the one of the villages to which they are going. Here's how some of the really hands-on stuff starts to to take root. Um, Let me read verse 5 to you. We're going to skip some verses and come back to some of them again next week. Jesus says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. Have you ever gone into a house and say peace? Like it sounds weird, right? Well, what Jesus is talking about here, let me just take a minute to explain it to you. In Jesus' day, it was really common for people to gather in the village square. And of course, apart from Jerusalem, a whole bunch of villages. And people would bless one another by saying, peace. It might sound a little odd to you, but that's what happened. And what they were intending to do was literally bless on behalf of the Lord to give this gift of peace to people who were present that day, the people to whom they were speaking. Um, But it wasn't just peace that we would understand in terms of the word now, peace in your relationships with one another, or maybe even peace with God. What literally Jesus says to these people is to go and give them, and I'm going to use the Hebrew word, shalom. Offer them shalom. And what that word means is it, it includes peace, peace in your life. No conflict, no struggle, no war, if you would. In any, in any context. But it also means more than peace. It is the shalom of God is well-being in life. It, it is wholeness in life. It is prosperity and plenty and abundance in life because of what God is doing in your lives. It is health in your life. Essentially, it is this. It is salvation in the fullest form. Not salvation which exists when we enter into the kingdom of God. That's our experience, initial experience of salvation. But it's the, in a broader sense, everything that comes into our lives because we're in relationship with God. Put it differently, because we're in the kingdom of God, God just pours his blessing into our lives. And we know wholeness, and we know well-being, and we know abundance. Jesus said it's a life of abundance, right? And we know health, and we know this incredible life where God shows up and he blesses us over and over and over again, and life is good because we're in relationship with Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is when you go into these towns, go, go and, 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 and offer them shalom. Offer them this experience of life in God's kingdom. Let people know that this alternate reality exists, the kingdom of God, that they can participate in, that there is a God in heaven who loves them and they can have a relationship with that God through Jesus. And and that that God, in his loving and in his blessing way, is going to pour blessing into your life and you're going to discover the shalom that I have come to know. I don't know about you, but I think that's really cool. We have this gift to offer people called shalom. And you know what, what? What's going on here is that, obviously, my friends, not only can those people do this, but we are instructed to do it too. Have you found something in Jesus that's precious to you? Have you found a life that is, that is deeply blessed? 
where well-being emerges, the more you live in faith and obedience, where wholeness exists, where abundance and plenty is because God is with you and he just keeps giving to you and giving to you and giving to you. And life becomes incredibly good, even though at times it's hard, but life is incredibly good because you're in the kingdom of God. I want you to know, my friends, we have a gift to give. And it's an incredibly good gift. Now, I want you to know, too, what we're called to not go and give is doctrine. Well, here's what I think. And da, 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 da. No, we're not called to give doctrine as if we're experts. You don't need to be an expert to do what Jesus is talking about. He, by, and he doesn't say, by the way, and go give them morality. Oh, you know, you're... you're you ought to live differently than you're living because that's what Jesus... Don't give them morality. You give them the kingdom and morality will follow because they choose it as we have. Don't expect non-believers to live like you. <laughs> you live like you because of your faith, right? They're not going to do it until they come to faith, until they enter the kingdom, until they start to discover shalom, the grace and the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. Don't give them morality and certainly don't give them judgment and condemnation. That'll just make people run for the doors. You come along and your gift to them is somehow communicating to people that you found something precious and beautiful and wonderful. It is my life in the kingdom of God. Life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus then, <laughs> he tells us how to describe this alternate reality, this, this different realm that we've walked into, this different way of living. And I'm going to jump ahead to verse 9. It says this. Jesus said, when you go, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, note, there's no preaching going on, okay? Just tell them. First of all, no, sorry. First, first of all, you heal the sick. Go into their lives and bring the grace and the power of God to bless those lives. People need healing in all kinds of way, ways, and we become the mechanism whereby the grace of God flows into the lives of other people. We are to go first and foremost as blessing into the lives of people who don't know Christ. And then, when that opportunity arises, tell them something. There's something called the kingdom of God. This alternate reality which I have found in which I live, and it's an incredible place to live. Would you like to live there too? That's what Jesus' instruction is. This is the how-to, if you would, that Jesus describes. Go and show them the reality of the kingdom. Show them the blessing that can come through one who lives in it. Show them what it's like to be in that reality. And then tell them that such a reality exists. See, through... Living out shalom in the presence of the kingdom uh, of people, people will see what shalom really is. And there will be many people who will want to say, hey, can I have part of that? Can I discover that too? Can I live in that realm? And we can tell them, yeah, you can. It's through faith in Jesus. You can enter in. My friends, if nothing else, I want to impress upon you this morning that we have an incredible gift to offer to people. Incredible gift to offer to people. It is a huge blessing. And there are so many people in this world, and I want to suggest likely so many people in your world specifically, who are not living shalom. They don't know peace. They don't know wholeness. They don't know well-being. They don't know abundance of life. 
the life that Jesus came and died and rose again, that they might know a lot of people in this world are really struggling and hurting, and they're living under the opposite of shalom. Anybody in your mind right now whom you know, who may be there? Well, again, Jesus says to his people, I'm appointing you as my ambassador. I'm appointing you as one to speak on my behalf. And I'm sending you to those people that you might offer them shalom. Well, Jesus then, this is really practical stuff, he teaches us what to expect when we get there. And there are two potential responses. Let's look at verses 6 to 9. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Um, you know, my friends, Jesus is, 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 is referencing again an incredibly common thing in his culture. And that is the practice of hospitality. When we, when we formed a refuge team in order to bring a refugee family uh, from uh, the Ivory Coast, the Jala family, we eventually um, helped to come here and they became part of who we were as a church. We talked a lot in that moment about hospitality. The Old Testament teaching about welcoming the alien and the stranger and the foreigner People who come among us who are in real need. You know, people in that day would travel from village to, to village and, and maybe even in Jerusalem. There was no best western they could check into. You remember that line? I do. I said it. I guess I remember it. And they needed people to welcome them into their homes and provide a bed and to provide food for them, to love them no matter who they were. What Jesus is saying, when you go and you're offering shalom, some will, will respond with welcome. When they welcome you, when you go into their home, Jesus says, eat with them. And remember, eating in, in that culture is incredibly significant. It wasn't just that you would share a meal to kind of fill the belly of somebody from a distance. If you would sit down at the table with someone, kind of like we sit down at the, at the table of the Lord, you are opening your lives to them. You are offering them a relationship. You are saying, I want you to be a part of my life. You're welcoming them in not only to your home, but into your relational world. Um, and when they do that, when they offer you friendship, essentially, eat what is put before you and stay there. It's a little bit of an odd instruction, I think, but Jesus is basically saying, don't go from house to house looking for the best gig. Oh, better food over here, a more comfortable bed over there. If someone welcomes you, go in and receive it and enter into relationship with those people and stay there. And that has some relevance for us, doesn't it? That has some relevance for us. What it means, my friends, listen, when we go out um, and while we are seeking to do this, to seeking, seeking to blast, seeking to bring shalom, seeking to bring healing and a knowledge of the kingdom, we're going to find people who will welcome us as followers of Jesus into their lives. We have to look for, and here's the principle, we have to look for receptivity in the lives of others toward us. People who are willing to say, yeah, I want you in my home. I want you in my life. I'm willing to become your friend. Even when you start talking about this faith of yours that seems odd and different to me, yes, come. Come. 
And I want to suggest to you, my friends, what we need to do as sent ones is to look for the Spirit of God in this way. How is God acting? What is God leading us to? Where is he putting us together with people? You know, with people who will receive us into relationship. Where are the doors opening into the lives of other people that we could walk through? Now, I want, I want to tell you again, we don't walk into a village, a public space. We don't have that here. <laughs> but we can walk into those relationships at a baseball diamond or at a hockey rink. I guess I need to say now at a basketball arena, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. <laughs> or at a golf course or in a neighborhood. Um, the question is, where is that door open to you right now that you can walk into a relationship with someone who's far from Jesus, loved by God, precious to him. And then when receptivity is present, I want you to know this. It is highly likely when you, when you discover that receptive person that God's already at work there, that God has gone before you. See, the gospel says, the old translations say, and I looked it up. I, I, I memorized the King James Version when I was a kid, so I still sometimes think in those terms. The old translations say that the gospel is an offense to those who are perishing. You know what the new translations say? The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Better translation. In other words, there are a lot of people in this world, and we'll share with them shalom, and they'll go, are you crazy? I don't get that. I don't want to be in relationship with God. I don't want to have a king in my life whose name is Jesus. I don't want to have to do what the Bible has. I'm, I'm just not interested. No, thank you. But the other reality is <clears throat> that God will have worked by his spirit in some, and because of his work at in their hearts and in their minds <clears throat> in that particular time and space in life <clears throat> because of the work of the Spirit, there'll be some people who say, could you tell me more about that? You know, that, that, this life that you're living intrigues me. It looks good to me. And I'd love to know more. See, when we find someone who is receptive to us and to the message of the kingdom and to the blessings of the kingdom, we've got to lean into that. We've got to walk through that door into relationship. But there's a second response that Jesus tells us about. Let me read it to you, verse 10 to 12. This is essentially the opposite of, of welcome. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say... Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Um, sobering words. We're going to talk more about those next week. But Jesus is saying, you are going to go into these villages, <clears throat> excuse me, you are going to offer shalom to people, the blessing of the kingdom and a knowledge of the kingdom, and there are going to be people there who just say, I'm not interested. They're going to reject you. Now, it's really significant. If you want to look at it later, you can. Chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Just before chapter 9, just before chapter 10, this is exactly what Jesus experiences. They have seen it happen as they have walked with him. He was traveling through Samaria, and people in those villages rejected him because he was going to Jerusalem. Because Jesus is the epitome of the reality of the kingdom of God, going among the people of God in Jerusalem. Uh, because he was those things, they just rejected him outright. They had no time for him. And what Jesus is saying, it happened to me, and if it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. Thank you, Aaron. 
If it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. But what does Jesus say that we should do or what they should do with rejection? I'm going to quote it again and tell you what it says in chapter 9. Same instruction given to both groups. He says, shake. Um, no, that's not what he says. Wipe um, the dust of that town from your feet as a warning of judgment to come. And the more famous passage in chapter 9 says just, you know, shake the dust of your feet and move on. Now, um, shaking the dust of, of, of their feet, it says here, it's, it's a sign of judgment to come. We are going to deal with that in, in next week. But what does it say to us as well? You know, it says, as you were rejected in my name, as you were feeling that maybe the mocking or the laughter or a lack of friendship which you knew before, whatever that might be, and expect it to come, don't let that rejection stick to you. Shake it off and move on. Move on until you find that person of receptivity, that person of peace. And when you find that person, you know you're onto something and you're cooperating with the living God to reach out in love to someone who is far from him. See, the reality is sometimes we don't engage in this kind of ministry because we're afraid. We don't want that sort of rejection in our lives we don't want someone to reject us we don't want someone to kind of mock us or laugh at us i want to tell you part and parcel of living the life in christ but the bible describes is that not only will we know the blessings and the goodness of life in him that we will also know suffering in him romans eight seventeen says that we <clears throat> share in his suffering that we might experience someday his glory uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says that we will participate in his sufferings along with other good things so that we might someday attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you folks here. If you're not willing to suffer for Jesus, you're probably not going to end up with glory or resurrection. It's part and parcel of following Christ. And we have got to get something to, to shift in our heads where we say, I'm not going to live with my greatest priority to be loved by everybody and experience comfort and convenience if I'm going to follow Jesus, because that's just not on biblically. We've got to get ourselves to a place where we say, you know, I'm going to follow the, the instruction of Jesus, the commandment of Jesus as his appointed representative and, I'm, and as I am sent out. And sometimes I'm going to find receptivity, but sometimes I'm going to find rejection. And you know what? When that rejection comes, it's okay. It's not going to kill me. I can survive this. I can shake the dust off my feet and I can move on until I walk into that relationship, that open door, which provides me an opportunity as I work according, with, according to and, and aligned with the Spirit of God so that someone else comes to know shalom as I have come to know shalom. See, sometimes that comfort and convenience becomes our idol. And because of that, nothing else, even in the will of God, is allowed into our lives. My friends, let's deal with this one. This is the shifting of thinking that I prayed about earlier. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to be rejected in his name? Let me just throw this in again. It's more next week. But the Bible in this passage says that we become so aligned with Christ that when people reject us, it's not really us they're rejecting. It's Jesus they're rejecting and his Father. Heavy duty, right? Serious stuff. But in the end of the day, we've got to get comfortable with this idea of potentially being rejected as we share shalom with people. 
We got to get to the point where that's just okay. And I know I can survive this. And I know I can move beyond it. It's just part of following the Lord. Until we find that place that God has created. That relationship which he, in, in, in and through which the kingdom of God can come. See, Jesus is essentially saying this. Um, align yourself with me. Um, do what I've been doing. Uh, step in and become the people through whom others can see and experience the kingdom and hear about the kingdom. <laughs> Look for that moment of receptivity, that experience, that relationship to which we can lean into. Put up with rejection if it happens. That's okay. But in that moment when that receptivity is experienced, know that I'm at work. Know that I'm doing some pretty cool things that will change somebody's eternity. Let me say this. The world tells us, you know, we're not allowed into to bring our faith into the public square. You've heard that, right? We're not allowed to take our faith into politics anymore. You can't talk about it. We're not allowed to take our faith into public education. We're not allowed to talk about it there, even if we're believers. And I could go on and on. Even the medical field right now, you can't have convictions that keep you from some activity. Here's the truth according to what Jesus is saying. We can bring our faith into the world every single day. There is nothing stopping us from doing exactly what Jesus describes to us here. This is the design of God for the kingdom to expand. Nothing can stop that as we function according to the design of the Lord. Now, there's more to come next week, and I hope you come back. Because I think this is cool stuff. But here's my question for you today. Is there anyone here who is sensing Jesus to, to, to step in, to stop watching and to start doing? Maybe in a way that you've never engaged before. Anybody here, you just feel that rising up within you? Anybody here have a desire in their hearts to communicate the kingdom of God to people, the love of God, the healing of God, the blessing of God, to the point that somehow you can be part of another person entering into that kingdom, having their eternity changed? Having that person step into shalom, that precious thing that you have found. Anybody? Let me say this to you today. Based on this scripture, I believe there are people in your life right now whom God has made receptive. Receptive to shalom, receptive to this message of kingdom. All they need is someone like you. I keep saying you because I'm a chapter nine guy, right? Kind of. I preach. I should do this as well in my own world, I know. But all that person needs right now is for you to say, you know what, Lord? Lead me in this. Open my eyes to see. Help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to see that open door of relationship through which I can walk into that relationship of love and of trust in which I can share what I have come to know of you. I think that person's there already. And if he or she isn't there, God will soon provide it for you. And I want to tell you, my friends, we can end up doing, listen to this, exactly what Jesus did. Anybody here want to do what Jesus did? <laughs> Be the means through which the truth of God flows into the lives of people. And I'm going to talk about his power next week.
So much so that people find faith in Jesus. So much so that people's eternities are transformed. I want to finish very simply on this note. You say this, say yes to Jesus here, he will use you. According to the Bible, I believe it. He will use you. And there will be people in heaven someday because you were willing to say, I'm going to stop looking and watching and I'm going to start doing. <laughs> I'm going to start following the Spirit and I'm going to look for that receptivity and when I see it, I'm going in because God has set something up for me to do on behalf of him. You know, the basic reality when we talk about these things, my friends, is for us to understand, to realize that we, we are incredibly blessed people if we know Jesus. We live shalom. I hope you do in its fullness. And I hope you can continue to move more and more and more into that dynamic reality of a life blessed by God. Wholeness, well-being, abundance, health, goodness. To us, Jesus has given this gift that we might give it to others, that we might bless others with it, that we might be the people who did what he did, that the kingdom of God might expand. Let me pray for you right now. Gracious God, I'm sitting before several hundred people whom you, Lord Jesus, have appointed and who even here and now are sending out into this world. Lord, we are the encounters of this kingdom, this alternate reality. We are people who live in it and know its blessings, so we are the people who can share it with others. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will guide each and every single person here today to a person of receptivity someone whom you have prepared to hear and receive the message of the kingdom of God come into this world in and through the person of Christ. And I pray for each of these people, Lord, that when they find that person of peace, that person who is willing to receive them and their message, that they'll be the means of blessing and the means by which some people might come to hear and understand <clears throat> that there is an alternate reality in which they can live. And there's a God in heaven who loves them. And they can know his grace and his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his peace, his joy. And they too can know shalom. God, as we go, <clears throat> my prayer also is that you will activate the growth engine of this church in this way and that we will see hundreds of people find faith in Jesus simply because your people said yes to you. So Lord, we pray that you will make this happen, that you will inspire our hearts, that you will open our eyes, that you will help us to see the opportunity, that you will help us to bless, and that you will give us the grace and the wisdom to speak of the kingdom when we have opportunity. God, move in a mighty way among us that others might know we have come to know. And this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.